Welcome to Exercising Spirits, a podcast about issues relating to abuse and violence amidst exorcisms, deliverance sessions, and spiritual therapies. I'm your host, Tony Kale, and this week we're going to be sharing about some incidents in the news, as well as looking at the worldview related to the reality of demons and demonic activity. This week, we're going to start out looking at some cases in the news related to issues of violence amidst exorcisms. The parents of a four-year-old Missouri girl allegedly killed by neighbors to remove a demon pleaded not guilty Monday to charges connected to the case. Mary S. Mast, 29 years old, and James A. Mast, 28 years old, both of Lincoln, Missouri, were charged Thursday with felony child endangerment, resulting in death and are jailed without bond. During their arraignments Monday, Associate Judge Mark Brandon Piley also denied the couple's request to attend the girl's funeral. A bond hearing was scheduled for January 5th. The couple's other children, a two-year-old son and infant, were placed in protective custody. The girl was found dead at the family home on December 20th. Knox said she had been severely beaten and dunked in an icy pond as part of what appeared to be a religious-type episode. Across the road, neighbors Ethan Mast, 35, and Courtney Allman, 21, were charged last week with second-degree murder and other offenses. Both are jailed without bond. Both families attend the same church, but Knox said that the actions involving the girl are not condoned by the church, which he declined to name. The investigation done so far indicates this is an isolated incident and not the actions of a cult. Knox wrote in a news release on the department's Facebook page, a a probable cause statement from Benton County Sergeant Chris Wilson said the girl was already dead and had severe purple bruising over her body along with ruptured blisters when he was called to the home. Knox said the girl's parents had also been beaten along with the two-year-old. The infant was unharmed. James Mass told investigators that he and his wife observed the beating of their daughter, but were told they would be beaten or shot if they tried to intervene. Still, Wilson asked James Mast, how could he let people do this to his family? And he stated that they were told that his wife had a demon inside of her and her children would end up just like her if it was not taken care of. Wilson wrote in the probable cause statement. Ethan Mass told investigators that he and Allman used a leather belt to beat the girl on December 19th. She was then taken to a pond behind the home where she was dunked in the water on a day when high temperatures were in the 40s. Ethan Mass said everyone then returned to the victim's home and it wasn't clear when the child had died. Out of Austin, Texas, a Texas appeals court has delayed what would have been the first execution scheduled in the state this year. 
The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals on Friday granted the stay for Blaine Milam, 31 years old, to review intellectual disability claims. He had been set for lethal injection on Thursday for killing his girlfriend's 13-month-old daughter during what the couple had said was part of an exorcism. He was convicted of capital murder for the December 2008 slaying of Amora Carson at his trailer in Rusk County in East Texas. Mom's girlfriend, Jessica Carson, was also convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Prosecutors say Milam savagely beat, bit, strangled, and sexually mutilated the girl over a period of 30 hours. Out of New York, just this past week. A New York man is dead and three of his relatives are hospitalized after what appears to be an attempted exorcism ritual at a queen's home on Thursday. According to the New York Post, 30-year-old Jamie Walker is now in custody after telling responding officers early Thursday morning at the Queen's Village residence that he had hurt someone. The officers reportedly found Londeus Walker dead of multiple stab wounds in a bathroom in the home. The other people, the suspect's mother, Valda Walker, 72, the couple's other son, Orel Walker, 31 years old, and Orel's wife, Karen Rose Walker, 29, were found unresponsive and unconscious on a mattress. The three injured relatives did not have signs of visible trauma, but sources reportedly told the Post that they were near death of suspected poisoning. Multiple bottles of an unknown substance were found near the victims. Neighbors reportedly told the newspaper that the family appeared to be religious, but it's not known what specific religion they practice. Sources said that the family could sometimes be heard chanting in the home, and neighbors did not immediately hear anything suspicious when they heard noises early Thursday morning, a friend told the New York Post. They know they do their chanting, so they didn't take it into consideration, a friend told the newspaper. But detectives are reportedly looking into the possibility that the family was trying to perform an exorcism. According to the report, sources say Jamie's father had accused him of being possessed by the devil before Jamie attacked him. Two of the three family members found unresponsive have since gained, regained consciousness although it's unclear if they have yet spoken to the police or any media. This is a developing story. We are obviously seeing more and more cases like these in the news, and it just shows the importance of getting this information out there and looking at this phenomena from every angle and seeing how we can inject education and awareness into society about these issues to deter some of these issues occurring uh, as we're, we're seeing in the news. Strange growls and noises. Hatred toward God. Supernatural strength. And magical abilities. All of these are earmarks of classic 
demonic possession, according to the Judeo-Christian worldview. Over the last couple of weeks on this podcast, we've looked at perceptions of spirit possession from an outsider's perspective. We've observed how witchcraft in Africa and exorcism in Africa is performed, and we've observed the abuse and violence that can occur amidst some of the extreme exorcisms. Today we're going to talk about something very different. We're going to look at the issue of demon possession from an insider's perspective. In anthropology, we're taught the importance of not only looking at a culture or a cultural practice from the outside, but also looking at it from an insider's perspective in order to gain an understanding as to why some behavior occurs. This week, we're going to listen to what may be considered by some as evidence of demon possession. I'm going to be playing a tape that I've had for almost 30 years. The audio quality of the tape is poor, but I believe it's clear enough for you to gain an understanding as to what is being communicated uh, in this cassette. In 1980, a Christian minister in South Carolina began receiving calls from a young lady who said she had heard the minister uh, on a a radio broadcast, and he was speaking about uh, various aspects of um, esoteric practices and, and occult activities, and the young lady said she felt compelled to contact this minister and tell him about her background and some of these activities. The young lady claimed she was raised in a family that practiced uh, various rituals and ceremonies that included aspects of blood and violence. And as this young lady began sharing her story with his minister, the minister noted that there would be times that the girl's voice would change. In fact, it would become uh, very uh, harsh sounding, and in some cases she would growl, and in some cases it would take on a distinctive, almost British accent. He would find that through the longer he conversed with the young lady, the more these audible manifestations of something speaking through the young lady were coming through. For several weeks, the minister would dialogue with the young lady about his beliefs about Christianity and spiritual teachings. And the interruptions by these voices coming from the young lady became more and more frequent, and they became very um, angry at the minister, and uh, the, the voices would start speaking Um, against uh, any ideas of of Christian teaching uh, and showing almost an animosity when he would mention things like the blood of Christ or uh, salvation through uh, what Christ did on Calvary. 
the minister eventually made a way for the young lady to come visit uh, his church and uh, a youth minister and the minister's wife. Uh, the minister was able to send the young lady some uh, a bus ticket to um, come to where he was located uh, in the Carolinas. What you're about to hear are segments of their phone conversations and some of their uh, in-person interaction once she arrived uh, at the minister's church. I must warn you, uh, what you're about to hear may be disturbing. It's not my intent to make you believe or disbelieve in demons. I simply think it's important that we understand the motivation behind exorcism and deliverance rituals for some. And it's also important that we understand how these various uh, alleged spiritual manifestations affect cultural descriptions of spirits and demons. For example, you know, some of the classic aspects of demon possession as described in Christian worldview have to do with um, the, the uh, demon uh, speaks in other tongues and shows uh, supernatural strength and uh, has an aversion to things related to Christianity and um, may, uh, you know, have knowledge of uh, people's activities uh, that uh, they would have never communicated to the person who is allegedly possessed. Uh, I've edited this audio uh, to pull out the, the most, um, I would uh, say, animated parts of these conversations. Uh, the rest uh, is, is a lot of just um, talk about daily life and things of that nature. But I think it's important we understand perceptions in various religious cultures and spiritual traditions regarding um, what is perceived as demonic activity, and we look at how um, cultural uh, approaches to dealing with this are practiced uh, in a non-abusive, non-violent manner. And without further ado, um, we're going to start some of the audio. First segment, you'll hear the minister um, talking to the young lady, and when he starts mentioning aspects of God and Christianity, uh, there's a voice that begins to come from the girl. Uh, and the audio in the beginning is hard to hear, but she, the voice basically speaks. Uh, you know, she doesn't want him talking on this subject. And then you'll hear uh, at the last of this audio when he starts talking about uh, Christ, the voice uh, gives this uh, sort of blurting manifestation. Uh, 
segment, the minister who had been working with Gillian uh, as a youth pastor on his staff that becomes involved in the interactions. And uh, the, the youth minister um, explains to the girl on the phone who he is and kind of what his background is. And she wants to know, can she trust him, you know, uh, when she comes to the church and what is his background. And we find a lengthy, um, not only conversation, but a dialogue between this particular uh, young minister and um, one of the, the demons allegedly speaking through the young lady. And uh, you notice there's some aspects that really um, give to the cultural descriptions of the, the work of demons in the Judeo-Christian uh, worldview. Uh, that is parts of it uh, focusing on creating fear and working through the element of fear. As you'll hear the uh, demon, uh, alleged demon speaking through the young lady um, and, and specifically targeting um, personal aspects of the, the youth minister. Another thing you'll hear that's, that's fascinating and part of the conversation that we didn't uh, include in this audio, but uh, the, the demon at one point identifies itself as Mephistopheles. And then you'll also hear the mention of uh, the uh, uh, deity Moloch in this uh, as the demon identifying one of the demons or spirits. Uh, that is alleged to be working through uh, this young woman. Well, I used to teach mathematics. In fact, I even taught at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, here for a little bit. And, um, and But, you know, I just felt a real burden to work with young people. And, uh, you know, I, I really like to, to be able to help young people in their spiritual lives that they might, you know, come to know Jesus Christ better. And so that's why I'm here.
of uh, his initial uh, spiritual interaction uh, with this young lady. And so, of course, we stopped. And then we ex introduced ourselves, told who we were, and so on. Now, then, by then, of course, it was maybe 7.30, I suppose, when we got in the car. This was Thursday night. So Thursday night, we brought her over here to my study, right here where we're filming. And uh, we sat down, we talked for a little bit. I'd, I'd like to use the word just visit. Brother Mark Logan, my wife, and myself. Now, my wife did not necessarily want to come in. But I didn't want to be in here, of course, with a lady at night alone, even with another man. So I insisted on her coming in. I sat and talked to her. She was seated on the end of the couch, my wife on this end. I was over there in a chair, Brother Mark Logan, like this. We talked for a little bit, just missed it, where, you know, how this and that and the other. And uh, then I knew that I needed to test her, but I knew also that I was not going to that night because I didn't feel the leadership of the Lord to really deal with her in uh, trying to cast out the demon. So when the conversation was nearly over, I said to her, I said, I want to be with you tonight about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I said it, I have seen babies have uh, spasms, uh, have whatever you term, and this girl went into it. I'll not try to depict it. it. It was so frightening, my wife again ran from the room. Brother Mark Oden and I stood over. I honestly thought she had died after the writhing was over and the contortions and the stiffness of her body and the hideous look on her face, and as a result of it, I, I just waited, and I called her name. I guess uh, later uh, we figured it out, about a minute or a minute and 30 seconds, she was completely out. Well, I, I knew then it was going to take prayer, it was going to take some preparations and so on. We took her... In this final portion of audio we're going to listen to is... Uh, the actual deliverance of the young lady. And you'll hear the minister uh, addressing the demons directly. Um, and you'll hear the uh, responses uh, from, from these alleged demons. And um, you, 
you can hear it sort of builds into this big crescendo of almost releasing the young lady because at the end of this, when they know she speaks in, in her own voice. God loves her better. God loves her better. God loves her better. Come out. Come out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we rebuke you to the pit of hell forever. Come out. Come out. Come out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're like me, the audio is quite disturbing, regardless of your religious or philosophical background. There definitely was something at play in this specific experience between this young woman and this minister. I'm reminded to look back in the Christian scriptures in Mark chapter 5. And as soon as he stepped out of the boat, a man from the tombs came to meet him, a man with an unclean spirit who dwelt among the tombs. By this time, no one could bind him, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and had snapped the chains and broken the fetters. Nobody could tame him. All night and day, among the tombs and the hills, he shrieked, and he gashed himself with stones. On catching sight of Jesus from afar, he ran and knelt before him, shrieking aloud, Jesus, Son of God Most High, what business have you with me? By God, I adjure you, do not torture me. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he said. There is a host of them. And they begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The reality of demons in many religious worldviews is a part of sacred teachings, sacred experience. To deny these elements exist is to deny the very sacred text of a religion, whether it be the Bible, whether it be the Quran, and to deny the deity of these religious faiths. We can gain an understanding into the cultural practices of exorcism and deliverance by understanding the view of why these are performed, what what is considered uh, the a spirit, an unclean spirit, or a spiritual infestation. We constantly need to strive for. Regardless of ideology, regardless of, of dogma or, or, or philosophical background, we need to strive for safe and healthy approaches 
to whatever your spiritual worldview is. As we open the first of this show with these three specific cases that were in the media just over the last week, we understand that there are those who will utilize abuse and violence in trying to combat what they perceive as spiritual enemies. You've been listening to Exercising Spirits, the podcast about abuse and violence amidst exorcisms, deliberate sessions, and spiritual therapy. I've been your host, Tony Kale, and I bid you good day.